Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe, and uh, today is Saturday, uh, January the 7th, uh, 2023, and we're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Uh, We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again yet another edition of our program. Later on, we'll be coming up uh, with our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll feature dispatches on the announcement by the government of Chad that it has recently thwarted an attempted military coup. Ugandan military forces have captured the leader of the rebel allied democratic forces grouping. We'll have details on that as well. The southern African state of Mozambique has taken a non-permanent seat on the United Nations Security Council, and 49 Ivory Coast soldiers arrested in neighboring Mali have been pardoned uh, by the military regime. In the second hour, we look at the events leading up to the commemoration of the 111th anniversary of the African National Congress in the Republic of South Africa. The ANC Youth League has been addressed uh, by the recently elected Secretary General, Fakili Mbalula, uh, while President Cyril Ramaphosa delivered the keynote at the gala dinner. Finally, we look back on the upcoming 60th anniversary of the Birmingham Civil Rights Movement of 1963. These and other features will be brought to you during the course of our program. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll take our musical interlude uh, in the West African state of Nigeria with the uh, classical music of Cardinal Rex Lawson. Let's listen in. Thank you. 
to speak England, but I am not good scholarship.
Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the music of uh, Cardinal Rex Lawson uh, from the Federal Republic of Nigeria, uh, one of the major contributors uh, to uh, contemporary uh, African music, particularly uh, West African music, uh, during uh, the 1960s. And uh, you're listening to the Pan-African Journal. Worldwide uh, radio broadcast. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Bayomi Azikawe. Uh, right now, we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment of our program. These are some of the headlines in today's uh, Pan-African Newswire. And the lead story uh, deals with the announcement from the Chadian government, uh, which claims it foiled an attempted destabilizing coup uh, and uh, pointed the finger at some military members uh, for uh, this event. The N'Djamena government uh, announced just uh, two days ago that the attempt had been foiled by intelligence services, who also arrested several soldiers and an activist blame uh, for the incident said to have occurred on December the 8th. A statement on January the 5th came weeks after the Army denounced certain activities it claimed had been destabilizing. Aziz Mahatmat Saleh the government spokesman said that 11 army officers were involved in the attempted coup allegedly instigated by human rights defender Bardeen Berder. Mr. Berder uh, is one of the fiercest opponents of the Chadian president, Mahatma Idris Dibi, who became a civilian leader formally in August following dialogue between the political movements. Uh, he will continue in this role for another two years, according to the arrangement that says there will be elections afterwards. The activist has been the main challenger of the late President Idris Bibi Etno, who was killed in April of 2021 on the battlefront against rebels, days after he won his sixth term in elections by a landslide. In other news, in the East African state of Uganda, the military says it has captured the leader of the Allied Democratic Forces terrorist group that crossed from the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo and attacked villages in Ntoroko District last month, the spokesperson said uh, just this last past Tuesday. The Uganda People's Defense Forces uh, spokesperson, Brigadier General Felix Kuliyige, said that the capture of the ADF leader, all militants uh, who had crossed into Uganda from their hideout in Ituri, in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, to attack villages 
have been seized or killed. Today, the UPDF uh, has captured the commander of the ADF group that attacked uh, in Taroko last month. He was captured with two other combatants. This accounts for all the terrorists that launched the attack. None has gone back. Bravo to the gallant combatants. I read the tweet uh, by Brigadier General Kulayigas. On uh, December the 13th, an estimated 40 ADF fighters crossed the Semliki River and attacked villages in the Weramuli uh, subcountry in the Interoko district, uh, which borders the Democratic Republic of Congo, before the military repulsed them, killing 17 and capturing 15, while others were still at large or allegedly drowned in the river as they attempted to cross back. Three civilians were killed uh, in the crossfire. The ADF is a Ugandan but Islamist militant rebel group that uses Eastern Congo as its base. It was established in 1996 and has carried out several bomb attacks inside Uganda's capital, Kampala, the most recent being in October and November last year where at least five people were killed. The ADF operates in Eastern Congo's Ituri and North Kivu provinces where Uganda deployed the Mountain Brigade in Operation Shuja jointly with the DRC government to hunt down, fight, and uproot the rebel group from its bases. And you're listening to the Pan-African Newswire segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. In uh, Southern Africa, uh, the uh, Mozambique government has replaced the Republic of Kenya at the United Nations Security Council That happened just this last past Tuesday with a promise to prioritize the fight against terrorism. The country will serve as the council as a non-permanent member for the next two years. We are going to deal a lot with terrorism, said Mozambican ambassador to the United Nations, Pedro Comisario. Mozambique has been battling an Islamist insurgency in its northern Cabo Delgado province for the past five years. The conflict uh, has displaced over 1 million people and killed around 4,000 others, according to official data. Uh, Mr. Comisario said the country would also push for reform at the Security Council to address African concerns. And uh, in our final report, in the West African state of Cote d'Ivoire, there has been uh, the release uh, of the soldiers held uh, in Mali uh, by the uh, Malian authorities, uh, Mali's uh, military government yesterday uh, pardoned 49 soldiers from neighboring Ivory Coast uh, who were convicted of undermining Mali's state security and conspiracy against the government authorities. Uh, they announced this uh, yesterday. Colonel Asimi Kweta granted the pardon and demonstrates once again his commitment to peace, dialogue, pan-Africanism, and the preservation of fraternal and secular relations with regional countries, and particularly those between Mali and Ivory Coast, said in a statement from uh, Colonel Abdullahi Baiga, uh, the government spokesman. The pardon comes one week after 46 of the soldiers were sentenced to 20 years in prison. The three other defendants, all women who had been released in September, were tried in absentia and sentenced to death. The 49 soldiers were detained in July, well, they went to work uh, for the Sahelian Aviation Services, a private co- co- company contracted to work in Mali by the United Nations. A January 1 deadline set by the West African leaders for Mali to release the soldiers was missed. The decision to pardon the soldiers symbolizes greatest concern for good governance and respect for independent justice, the government 
statement reiterated. And with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. In concluding this segment of our program, we want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic that is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. This press agency was founded in January of 1998, some 25 years ago. And since then, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, if you'd like to have access to today's Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Saturday, January 7th, 2023, uh, all you need to do is go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. And uh, we'll take a break. Uh, We'll be back with more of our program for this week. Yeah. 
Welcome back. Uh, the music of uh, the one and only Candy Staten uh, with the track entitled Darling You All That I Have. And of course, our audience here at the Pan African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast, uh, is all that we have uh, here, uh, broadcasting live from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. And uh, right now, we want to move uh, to uh, the African National Congress uh, Youth League. Uh, conference that was addressed uh, by the recently elected uh, African National Congress uh, Secretary General. Uh, let's listen. Let's go right now uh, to uh, these developments uh, leading up to tomorrow's 111th anniversary of the formation of the African National Congress in um, the Free State uh, in 1912. Amazing. Let's listen to this report from South Africa. Let's take you live now back to uh, Mangaung, and that's where ANC Secretary General Fikile Mbalula is addressing the party's youth league. Lungisa and the former 
Deputy President of the ANC Youth League and his generation, I greet Comrade Buiswa Tulelo. If I were to strike a personal note, who I had an opportunity to work with as my Deputy Secretary General. Comrades, former leaders of the Youth League on the podium, Comrade Tandima Ambeshala, who is now here as well as a member of the National Executive Committee of the ANC. Comrade Stellan Dabene, a member, a member in government who is a minister coming from the ranks of the ANC Youth League, but also elected in the past conference as a member of the National Executive Committee of the ANC. Comrades, you have achieved what we could not achieve. And I want to remind you, as Pitamukaba speaks to us from the grave, you, comrades, revolutionized the ANC. It is you, here in Mangawu, who introduced in the ANC strategy and tactics for the first time when the ANC was celebrating its century of existence, the Youth League said the next century can be nothing else but economic freedom in our lifetime. Because the generation of Nelson Mandela, Oliver Tambo, Anton Limbede, Nkolisima Chombozi, Congress Mbata, have achieved freedom in their lifetime. When you introduced in the strategy and tactics a shift that then talked about radical economic transformation, it is the ANC Youth League in Midrand that said the next century should be about the toiling struggles for economic freedom. That is what you have achieved in revolutionizing the ANC. The second part in the last conference, and I will explain to you, that radical economic transformation in the ANC you then brought the resolution in the ANC on the land question. It is the ANC Youth League that championed the resolution in the ANC that as part of this economic freedom, it cannot be a hollow slogan. It must have a program of action, and that program of action became part of it giving meaning to this economic freedom, the land question. And then the youth league said, we want land without compensation. Land expropriation without compensation. 
That is the resolution that was adopted in the ALC conference that was brought by the ALC Youth League. The ALC Youth League went further to define what are the tasks for the youth that the ALC must take up. And in those tasks, comrades, you began to talk to the reality that faced an unemployed youth in our country. You began to say, what are we going to say to the youth that is disengaged, that is exposed to drugs, that is exposed to early teenage pregnancy. You began to say that the problem of the South African youth is a problem and a challenge of disengaged youth. And that the ANC government must implement what we call the National Youth Service Program. Massification to address the disengaged youth. When you go around the township, 12 o'clock during the day, the youth are toiling in the streets unemployed. But when you go deeper, to what is in that youth, you find that majority of them have dropped out at metric. Majority of them have dropped out because of early teenage pregnancy. Majority of them are exposed to drug abuse. Now the youth of South Africa don't want handouts. That is why the response of the ALC Youth League to that problem was that in order to skill these young people who in terms of our time it was characterized as the lost generation and we contested we contested that notion that we are not the lost generation we are the militant, vibrant, death-defying youth of the African National Congress we are not lost that is why Peter Mukaba joined the struggle at the age of 19 and went to complete military training and went to be arrested and went to Robben Island and came back and led the South African Youth Congress which was launched in 1987 in Cape Town and as the last president of the South African Youth Congress. And that is why that youth that Peter Mukaba led said, victory is certain, freedom or death. Victory is certain. Now the youth of the ALC today is taken from 1944 to Peter Mukaba and it is a battle cry, economic freedom. You comrades must not apologize for being militant. You must not apologize and ask for things. You must champion the cause of the youth. You must not go to the ALC begging and asking. You must lead and shape the ideological direction of the ALC and influence the direction the ALC must take. That is your task. 
Khalima Murkan says the ALC youth think is a necessary problem of the ALC. Militancy comrades means you are driven not by emotions but by the ideological expression of what is wanted by society. Militancy is not anger, it's not hollow slogan. Militancy is about where are we going? Militancy is not about slaughtering people and vandalizing and character assassinating leaders. It's about giving political direction to the revolution. Comrade Joy and Comrade Nonmayaba, you will lose the youth if you start speaking like old people. We want you to represent the view of the youth and lead the youth struggle in our country and tell the ANC what does the youth want and not just be there and mimic political leaders without giving political direction. Comrade Peter Mutaba and his generation responded to the call, rendered the country ungovernable and the apartheid machinery unwelcome. Ramuswana was a militant president of the youth of our country. Peter Mukaba and his generation responded to that call. They then began through South African Youth Congress to recruit the youth of our country to swell the ranks of Mkondoesis. But they did not just join Mkondoesis, they joined Mkondoesis and became soldiers who were armed with the revolutionary theory. They were not directionless. And they recruited a whole lot of the youth into the ranks of the ANC. And that is why when we see the slogan Kia Marumo Asita, we are talking about the arms and we are talking about charging at the enemy in defense of our people. So those were slogans with meaning. But Peter Mukaba understood that when we ascended to political power, we needed to harness the militancy of the youth. But harnessing the militancy of the youth, we were not going to do it through slogans. We then had to begin to say, what are the tasks for the youth having come into power? We said, when the youth league was formed, relaunched in the country in Siamuso Kandeber, the task of the youth is to rally the youth behind the banner of the ANC and champion their socio-economic interests. And that is why the struggle for job creation in our country must be led by the ANC Youth League. No one else can meet that struggle better with clarity of thought either than yourself. We come from the conference because if the ANC 
Because Kalima Mutante says, as you grow up, you learn fear. So Malula, when he grows up, he chooses ways. And now he's the Secretary General. He's not going to be like Nonneva. Nonneva must get out of the way and then will bring them back. But they must be socialized in the politics of the African National Congress. But they must not apologize. You must teach young people discipline. You must teach them ideology. The advanced brigade of the African National Congress. Gathered here in this hall, you are the forward brigade that is expected to explain to the youth what the ANC will do for them. It does not mean that because we are in power you cannot occupy the streets and lead the struggles of young people. Comrades, the struggle is not over, the struggle continues. When the ANC agreed to autonomy of the Youth League, it was not delivered on a silver platter. You must defend it. We suffered for defending the autonomy of the ANC Youth League. The autonomy of the Youth League does not mean a state of total independence. We understand that correctly. But autonomy allows you to think and to be revolutionary and to be militant. Not this youth that is a frog march by leadership and carrying out instructions. When somebody is going to speak on behalf of the ANC Youth you must get uh, some lecture from some leader. And the only role of the ANC Youth League is to marshal branches to vote for a particular leader. The ANC Youth League role is to challenge the ANC with ideas. Because if the leadership of the ANC is too comfortable, they will forget the masses, comrades. We will forget the masses and the youth league is there to remind us. Don't say it's only outside. Stand in the platform of the ANC and challenge the ANC. Politically. That is your role that Peter Mukaba has delivered for you. And you must defend it. We don't want to shittish ANC Youth League. The ANC Youth League that consult before they think. We don't want that. You must think and then we'll think with you. You think that uh, the ANC, I hear you comrade Mandela, you say, if January statement does not include this, and then it is not part of us. You must change the January 8th statement. So that it produces what is in the interest. You are the ones who must advise the ANC. for the youth of the country. 
the youth of the country, comrades, are saying to us, we want to go to university, but when we finish this university, we go and look for employment, and before we get employment, they want experience from us. And as the youth of the country was saying, let's get experience wise on the job. That's what the youth want. And that's what is in the manifesto of the ANC. Where will you get the experience if you were not employed anywhere? And it must start in government. Government must be able to train and employ and absorb young people and give them experience. That's what must happen. We must not apologize for who you are. Let me tell you about Peter Mukaba. Peter Mukaba did not clamor for position. At some point, he was a deputy minister in President Mandela's cabinet. And for whatever that was the prerogative of the president who followed Comrade Tabonde, he did not appoint him in his cabinet. And as the youth league, we were very militant. We said, how can President Mbeki, when we fought for him to lead as a product of the ANC Youth League, how can he drop our president just like that? We were very much angry, we were not militant. And Ramuswana, in his true style, convinced us to his home in Wendy Hood and said, Comrade, the day you are going to march and challenge the ANC president for a position, that will be the death of the revolution. To serve in cabinet is a privilege, it's not a matter of principle. And uh, I implore upon you to support the president. It is his prerogative. We can't all of us fight for position. Here is a man, here is a comrade who could have abused the ANC and say, take him on. He said to us, don't do it. And if you do it, I will challenge you. And he gave us the right politics. Why is that important? Now, comrades, you have achieved something that we did not achieve. When Peter Mukaba served in Mandela's cabinet, we saw ourselves in him, even though we were not in cabinet. But the fact that our president was in cabinet, we saw ourselves in him. Today, You've got more than five ANC Youth League people in cabinet. And today you have captured the center of the ANC as a Secretary General. That is you. You did not do that for Manula. You do that for the generational mission. And when the member and Joy called me, and said that they nominated me to be the Secretary General. I said, even if I lose, 
I know where I come from. And that will happen to every one of us. All these comrades who are here, from the youth league ranks, you never forget where they come from. Even today as we gather, we don't forget Peter Mukaba. Peter was born on the 7th of January, on the eve of the ANC January 8th. Today we remember him. Peter Mukaba was full of life. He will go to a party, he did not drink, he did not smoke. He will go to a party but he will not drown. He understood perfectly that to be among the youth in a party does not compromise your identity. Masatia ukremu kwa peritisha dia ENSI ata uweko smongolo. Atwa mo ulibetini revolution. He thinks that it is a revolution. Kanti, the most important thing, comrades, is that you must live life to the fullest as young people. You must be where, where young people are. But you must lead them politically and, and imbue them with the ideology of the age. You must not drown in a beer hall. You must dance and do all the other things that young people do. Revolutionaries are not saints, comrades. They too love things, but they don't drown in those things. And that is what is important. So Peter Mukaba was a person full of life. Peter Mukaba loved education. When Peter Mukaba died, he had achieved masters in economic development with the University of London through distant learning. He understood that the revolutionary theory without academic base, it is not complete. When we talk about the changer, that is what is important. Peter Mukaba understood that the movement must always produce organic intellectuals. And he was not afraid to think. At some point, he said, kill the poor, kill the farmer. And the ANC said, you are out of policy because the youth league must always follow the ANC policy. You influence the ANC policy. That is why you are formed. Once that policy is adopted, you've got to defend it. Now, Peter Mukaba came with this slogan that we're always singing. He did not listen. He went on and on and Mandela warned him, Comrade Peter, please, can you follow the policy of the African National Congress? And Peter modified and said, kill the poor, kill the farm. But still, chanting and, and contextualize that the slogan, kill the poor, kill the farmer, when the guerrillas were entering the country from Nimpopo, inside the country, the Boers in the front line deployed the commandos who were the farmers. And the commandos will capture and kill guerrillas in Limpopo on the other side of Bembe. 
coming from the side of Louis-Trichard, crossing the Limpopo River from the side of Zimbabwe, infiltrating the country. And then the poor will kill our comrades. And that is why, deep in Angola, they composed a slogan and said, when you enter and infiltrate the country, kill the poor, kill the farmer. It has to change because now we are in power. Peter then said, kiss the poor and kiss the farmer. Peter Mukaba understood, comrades, the distinction between emotion, anger, and militancy. You know what moves us as a revolutionary? It is the idea, it is the suffering of our people. Any injustice meted against one of our own, it makes us move and occupy the streets and fight racism. That is militancy. It's not anger. Anger is when you are emotional and then you are just ravaging at random without any substance. Now militancy, what makes you two stand up against an injustice meted against one of your own? And that makes you to go to the street. It is militancy. It is because our revolutionary movement in its outlook is anti-racism. Our revolutionary movement is against tendencies such as tribalism. Ramshwan understood that as much as he was failing, he was growing in a South African nation that was characterized by many tribes. And they never, when we look at leadership, begin to say what language is he speaking? Where does he come from? Why is ANC dominated by Kosas or Zulus? What about the Pelis? What about the Vendors? The ANC has always understood and defeated the demon of tribalism. The very thing that led to the existence and the formation of the ANC was the ANC uniting the African people in what we define today in the content of the National Democratic Revolution as a liberation of Africans in particular and blacks in general. The ANC was about the unity of the African people in 1912. Unity of the African people when African people were fighting wars and even fighting among themselves. The ANC emerged and united against tribalism, petty tribalism. As we remember Pitamuka Ramshwa, through Seiko, we campaigned and fought against destructive tendencies like Ulo. All the people in the villages were being killed. And then they were being associated with witchcraft. Peter Mukaba led the ANC used through Seiko against those tendencies. The ANC used it. 
of Peter Mukaba, of Anton Limbede, must champion the cause in the organization to fight against certain tendencies in the ANC. Don't look at the person what language he speaks before you elect them. Look at the cater. You have achieved what we never achieved in our time in the youth league. You've got the youth league that is led by young women. I'm very proud standing here and see so many young women in the ANC youth league. We have never had that. But we did have the Secretary General of the Youth League who were women, Guizwa Tuleno and Filippo Schiffer. The ANC Youth League is your vehicle, comrades. And as the Secretary General of the ANC, when I we remember Ramushwa, we must work and not be curtailed from convening a conference because of money. We are going to raise money and then you are going to have a conference. We are tired of tax teams. We want leaders. If we do not launch the ALC Youth it will be an indictment on me. It will be an indictment on all of them. I serve with in the ALC National Executive Committee. We are going to take you to conference screaming and kicking. And help us, comrades, help us and give us the youth of South Africa the leadership it needs. But it's Kabalata Mayanaya Conference and Latamaya Gama Punapun. You must debate leadership and then you must debate the issues you must have an organization. I don't care what joy thinks or not never. I care about what new members of the youth league you are going to give us. Because I don't want in the next five years to be babysitting ALC I want before April compensating you. We want we want to give the youth of our country leadership of the youth league. And that leadership is going to come here in this hall and everywhere in the country. You must work to find each other. You were divided by the ANC conference. You even forget your own conference. Others were choosing this direction, others were not choosing this direction. Now, when we remember Peter Bukaba and the best, best day we must give to him is to report to him. And I speak to Ramushwana because, comrades, 
When Peter was removed, he said to me, Comrade Secretary General of the Youth League, let's go to, to the house and reclaim the ANC. Peter Mukaba, when he died, he was the head of elections of the ANC. He was at the uh, sixth floor, we were at seventh floor. And then he died. And today we are reporting to him on the seventh. Comrade President, everything you taught us, we kept it alive to this day. And today, when we celebrate your birthday, we are talking on the podium when the ANC Youth League have achieved the result of occupying the central position in the African National Congress. Comrades, not only that, more than half of the ANC National Executive Committee, it is led by the ANC Youth League. Ramswad, we don't know what that result will mean in terms of the ANC politics. But we can promise you that we'll defend the ANC till the end. And the ANC must and will emerge victorious in 2024. It will emerge victorious because the ANC is a weapon at the disposal of the people of South Africa and Africa and the world. It is the ANC that represents progressive ideas and that constitutes the disciplined force of the left. Comrades, our people do not care who becomes the minister. What our people want from us, they want us to do away with load shedding. That's what our people want. If this is what makes you militant, not angry, we are friends in the struggle. Who becomes a leader cannot move you as a point of militant, because anyone can occupy any role. But if you are moved by the fact that there is poverty, there is unemployment, and young people have been ravaged by Nyaupe and drugs. And we must formulate a response to that urgent task. Then we are in the revolution. If we are moved by the fact that women cannot walk free in the streets and women are still defined as sexual objects depending on what they wear then you stand up against that, then we are in the revolution. And if you understand that the majority of our people that dispossess still don't have land and the ANC must lead that particular struggle, then we are in the revolution. There must be no apology about that. It is the resolution of our conference. We come from a very important conference that has begun to give meaning and shape the direction our revolution must take, supported by the leadership that is elected. 
the earth you seek must be at the center of those struggles in the name of Peter Mukab. Comrades, the ALC is facing what is called existential crisis, which in terms of our intervention, we talk renewal. And when I say renewal of death, I don't mean our own death, I mean the death of the ALC. We're not facing what the opponents are saying against us. The question is, how organized are we to defend the revolution? Our opponents are worried about us because they think in this existential crisis we are finally facing the death knell in 2024. It is the ANC and the youth league. It is literally in our hands to do the right things, to defend the revolution. Not what our opponents are saying. What do we say about renewal? If we don't renew, we face death. This organization will die. Peter Mukaba coined the concept, adapt or die. Ramshua, rather die to a man than to let the enemy pass. 1987, we leave it there, Secretary-General of the ANC, Fikile Mbalula, delivering the Peter Makaba Memorial Lecture to the ANC Youth League. Makaba was imprisoned on Robben Island for his apartheid resistance activities and became the first president of the South African Youth Congress which later became the ANC Youth League after the party was unbanned in 1990. Welcome back. And uh, that was um, a address uh, by uh, Fakile. And of course, uh, we're going to continue to cover the 111th anniversary of the formation of the African National Congress in South Africa. We'll take a break. We'll be back uh, with more of our program. I'm gonna go through the floor That's what's gonna happen, baby 
Howard Tate uh, with the R&B classic uh, stopped. And you're listening to the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast uh, for Saturday, January 7th, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And right now we want to go back uh, to uh, South Africa for the 111th anniversary commemoration of the African National Congress. This is at the dinner uh, taking place uh, that is going to be addressed uh, by President Cyril Ramaphosa. The ANC's 111th birthday celebrations are well underway. They're hosting a gala dinner tonight as part of those celebrations. The tables auctioned for around 1 million rand to dine with the party president, Cyril Ramaphosa, with various business people and influential individuals from different sectors of society, using the opportunity to mingle with ANC officials. Meanwhile, the party uses the event to raise funds, of course. Let's listen in to proceedings now. It's a bigger venue. Um, otherwise, uh, we will go elsewhere because the demand uh, seems to be very high uh, by today's standards. Uh, I also stand here before you um, celebrating the 111th uh, anniversary of our glorious movement, the African National Congress. We appreciate that uh, there were times when the brand, brand um, had, uh, had been dented. And I think as the President will share with you, we are on a path, an irreversible path uh, of renewal, uh, working together with and working for South Africa uh, to build a better South Africa and a better world. Indeed, uh, we also are here to ask you to be with us um, to strengthen the management of democracy. I've been uh, heard uh, and correctly so and uh, quoted to say that um, uh, the relationship with you cannot be and should not be transactional. It must be a, rela a relationship of um, a, a, a compacting, a relationship of um, a building social cohesion, a relationship of patriotism to fund those that are at the forefront of managing our democracy, at the forefront of coordinating us as a nation uh, to indeed uh, 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 protect and defend the gains and uh, advance um, uh, our d development trajectory. So I, 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 I actually thought that uh, this event won't be successful when I was quoted around uh, having uttered those words. And I'm greatly inspired that uh, South African corporate and business agrees with me. Your mere presence here uh, endorses the fact that uh, this is our democracy. No one will come from outside to build it. We must build it ourselves together. And this is part of it. We have just taken a resolution that, uh, which was sponsored by the finance team, that uh, we are asking South Africa uh, to fund its democracy fully by funding political parties, especially those that are in Parliament. Uh, that will help us to really know that we can hold the political parties accountable and that there will not be undue negative influence which undermines or which stand, or can undermine 
the integrity and the interest of us as a collective uh, South Africa. Uh, we have benchmarks with the other advanced uh, economies and advanced democracies, and that is the route to go. Uh, and uh, this is one of the gestures that humbles us that um, many South Africans believe that it is okay uh, to fund uh, political parties to do what they know best, to give inspiration and to coordinate uh, our efforts of um, building patriotism and advancing our country. Uh, that's all I have for you today. My job is cut out. Um, I don't as yet have in my diary all uh, the program that uh, um, uh, uh, Mr. De Brain has outlined, but uh, what can I do? I must just follow suit. So the women of South Africa in, um, in, in, in corporate are saying uh, we can't celebrate forever. Uh, after tomorrow's celebration, my job is cut out. So I'm on the road. I'll be visiting you. Uh, I'll be um, also uh, helping you to, um, you know, ensure that we create a positive uh, investor-friendly uh, environment and that uh, we build brand South Africa together for its own uh, uh, citizens uh, in terms of inclusive growth and shared prosperity, but also for our joint and collective uh, 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 benefit. Um, having said so, I'll have uh, more hours with you. Uh, I know that uh, when you deal with business, you must be brief to the point, um, and uh, I will certainly practice to do so. And it is my pleasure and privilege uh, to call to the podium uh, our one and only, His Excellency, the President of uh, the African National Congress and the President of uh, the Republic of South Africa, none other but uh, President Cyril Matamela Ramaphosa to address us. Thank you. Amanda, Amanda, Viva ANC, Viva, Viva Kosatu, Viva, Viva SACP, Viva, Suha Sanko, Suha, Amanda, Program Directors. My two sisters, Khadija and Sonia. One of the things that the national chairperson does very well when he chairs meetings, when there seems to be commotion and all that, 
he pauses and tells us all to pause until those that he identifies who are causing commotion have finished. <laughs> he says, let's wait until they finish and then we will continue with our meeting. Because that helps to expose them. So learn from the national chairperson. <laughs> Deputy President Paul Mashatile, the national officials, as they have already been introduced, members of the National Executive Committee, distinguished guests in all your iterations, both local as well as from a number of other countries who have honored us with your presence tonight. A special word of thank you to all of you for joining us for this uh, Patriotic Business Forum dinner as hosted by our newly minted and elected Treasurer General who has in her very first dinner sold out all the tables with many people clamoring to be part of this. We welcome you to this gala dinner which is on the eve of the 111th anniversary of the formation of our movement, the African National Congress. It is significant that we have returned here to Mangaung, the birthplace of the African National Congress, to celebrate this occasion. When we turned 100 years, we also came here to Mangaung. The people who gathered here 111 years ago to found this great movement were from all walks of life. There were traditional leaders from various parts of Southern Africa, not only South Africa, but Southern Africa. There were religious leaders, there were intellectuals, there were professionals, and there were many ordinary South Africans who also graced the occasion for the formation of the ANC. In remembrance of the leaders of our movement and those members who would have been present, we have started a tradition of pilgrimages. Pilgrimages to the gravesides and to the homes of our departed leaders in areas where we hold our January 8th celebrations. Being here in Mangaung has given us a great opportunity to visit the homes and grave sites of our departed leaders. The officials and a number of members of the National Executive Committee the provincial leadership as well, and the regional leaders of our movement here in the Free State had, or in Mangaung, had the honor 
and I would add a privilege of going to pay our tributes to three of some of the outstanding former leaders of our glorious movement. This province can truly claim and can really boast of being the home of legends as well, in that it is not only the best place of the African National Congress, but was the home of three outstanding leaders. We were able to visit the gravesite and the home of Thomas Mtobi Mapikela, who was born on the 12th of November, 1869, and whose family moved to Vaihuk. And tomorrow we will go to the actual site and church where the ANC was formed in Vaihuk. He became a carpenter and a builder by profession and later became active in politics, in the politics of the African National Congress. He was one of the founders of the ANC and became an NEC member. And then he became the speaker of the ANC for 28 years from 1912 until 1940. And due to his multilingualism, this put him in a better position to continue as speaker of the organization. In 1913, he was part of the delegation which traveled to Britain protesting against the 1913 Land Act which afforded black people only 8% of the land in South Africa. 1919, Ndatema Pikela was involved in the drafting of the South African National Congress Constitution, which was a policy statement of the organization for many years. He became a very successful business person in the construction industry, but he later felt the full effect of oppression and exploitation of the colonial uh, government then, which was clearly arraigned against black people making any progress in participating in the economy of their own country. In 1903, Mapikela set up his own independent building construction enterprise. He was engaged in making furniture of many descriptions for schools, for churches around Mangau. When we visited his home, we could see the wondrous carpentry work that he had created himself with his own hands. His business was involved in the erection of timber roof trusses, Timber roof trusses are quite complicated to put together, but he was involved in that and the installation of manufacturing of specialized timber items. Now, what I found significant was the speech that he made on the 25th of November in 1940, where he said, 
I am the man who made all the furniture for Gray College. And Gray College is a leading school here in the Free State. And I was, he said, I was the man who also made all the furniture at the University of the Orange Free State. And some Europeans asked why a native should be allowed to take the bread out of the mouth of their children. He continues, not that I do not understand my trade, but a member of parliament, the then obviously colonial parliament, said that he would not allow a native to do the work which should be done by Europeans. This is what he said in 1940. The restrictions imposed on him to conduct his business were to be applied against black people throughout the country and are the colonial and apartheid legacy that the African National Congress is having to deal with today. We also had the honor of visiting the home and the graveside of Reverend Zacchaeus Richard Mahabani in Seisoville in Kronstadt. He was elected the President of the African National Congress from 1924 to 1927. While in Kimberley, he became the Secretary of the African Christian Ministers Association of the Diamond Fields. In 1937, he was elected President of the ANC for his second term. When his term as the ANC president ended in 1940, he became the official chaplain of the ANC and was elected as a lifelong honorary president of the ANC in 1943. So National Chairperson, <laughs> National Chairperson, continue doing your work. You may become chosen as a lifelong chairperson of the ANC one day. Our pilgrimage also took us to the gravesite and the home of Dr. James Moroka, who was elected as the president of the ANC by the support of the ANC Youth League and its leaders Walter Sisulu and Nelson Mandela in December of 1949. During Dr. Morocco's presidency, the ANC started to implement more militant and radical tactics in fighting the country's apartheid regime. Now, the honor of embarking on this pilgrimage rather, has given us, those who participated in the, in the pilgrimage, the very rare opportunity to be on the hallowed ground of greatness, of great experience, which many of us found both inspirational and uplifting. The ANC is not only the oldest liberation movement on the African continent and possibly in the world, but it's also a movement with a great history that has a galaxy of leaders 
who sacrificed greatly but also led our people very wisely. These leaders and those who were there when the ANC was established were a diverse group representing many cultures, languages, yet they were united by a common belief in the equal right of all South Africans to dignity, respect, and freedom. In their honor, let's give them a round of applause and thank them for the excellent work. Now, throughout its history, its leadership and membership in its programs and policies, the ANC has reflected this great diversity of people pursuing a common vision. And we learn from this history that the achievement of a united, non-racial, non-sexist, democratic and prosperous South Africa requires the involvement of all sections of our society. That is why the presence of so many of us here tonight and many representing business is so important to the mission of the African National Congress, as the Treasurer General was saying. The Patriotic Business Forum brings together business people from companies, both large and small, who share our commitment to the fundamental transformation of our economy and society. We do believe that this is the bond that binds us all together, and your presence here confirms precisely that. The members and supporters of the PBF recognize that all South Africans, whether they are, wherever they are, and whatever they do, need to be part of finding solutions and to be part of addressing the challenges that we face and to be part of building our country. And this is what we thank you for. And we welcome you and applaud your commitment and contribution to this task. The fact that this dinner, this gala dinner, has been oversold and oversubscribed for us proves indeed that you are willing, prepared to be part of this whole journey of rebuilding our country and indeed of rebuilding and revitalizing the African National Congress. So I truly thank you for being here. Thank you very much indeed. We are celebrating this anniversary just days after the ANC concluded its 55th National Conference. And because we were unable to complete the work of conference when we met in Nazrek in December earlier this week, we convened a hybrid forum to consider the report from commissions and to adopt the resolutions. The 55th National Conference was an important moment in the life of our movement. Delegates reaffirmed the determination of the ANC members that they represented to the conference 
to renew and to rebuild the ANC. And to reiterate what the TG said, this process of renewal of the African National Congress and its unity, it's not only irreversible, it's irrevocable. It will not be stopped. The delegates who were present at the conference resolved as one to put behind us the harmful organizational practices and tendencies that have contributed to the decline of the ANC in recent years. They stood firm to renew and to unite our organization. And in fact, there is no longer any room left for those who are opposed to the renewal process. No room at all. And there is no longer room left at all for those who want to sow seeds of divisions in the African National Congress. The delegates to the conference made a resounding call for unity based on the values and the principles of our movement. They said that this unity should be forged through the process of renewal and through a program of action that places the needs and the interests of South Africans above everything else and above anybody else's interests. And the resolution that, that we adopted at the conference are focused both on the immediate challenges that our country faces and the fundamental transformation of social and economic relations that are necessary to build a better life for all South Africans. The resolutions that we took, which we will also be outlining in the statement that the National Executive Committee crafted last night, which will be released tomorrow, sets out clear actions that need to be taken as a matter of urgency to resolve a number of challenges that face our country load shedding in the shortest possible time and in to ensure that the country's energy security is well positioned into the future. Those resolutions place inclusive economic growth and employment creation as central amongst the tasks that we must undertake. And this requires that we intensify the investment drive. And for us, it is so important to have so many of you who are in business, who drive the investment process, be it in small, medium enterprises, be it in large corporations, and also those who may not be here, but who may either read about our resolutions tomorrow and going forward. What we are focused on 
is to ensure that we create that environment so that your businesses, small or big, are able to invest and we want to intensify the investment drive that we launched in 2018 as well. We are working to reduce red tape and to improve the competitiveness of our economy through far-reaching reforms in a number of sectors of our economy. The conference also resolved that infrastructure investment needs to be increased substantially and that the plans need to be translated into the construction of roads, the closing of the potholes in our country, the building of bridges, the enhancement of our power lines, the building of dams, water treatment plants, schools, houses, student accommodation and other social and economic infrastructure. And this infrastructure investment is needed to stimulate economic activity, to expand the capacity of our economy and to provide the services that South Africans need. There was an appreciation amongst delegates that growth and jobs should really be driven by the small-medium enterprises, by cooperatives and the informal businesses, but that government should also play its own role through the various state-owned enterprises to contribute in this process of creating jobs. They called on government and the private sector to expand the financial and other support to small-medium enterprises and to ensure that this support does indeed have the greatest impact. And a special em emphasis and focus will be on the empowerment of women-owned and youth-owned businesses because these sections of our society have had limited access to opportunities. This we shall do and will focus on. And there is similarly a need to support the growth of township and rural economies, bringing commerce, trade and finance to the places where most of our people live. Each time the national chairperson goes to Gala, where he was born. And I tried to talk to him on the telephone. Our calls often get cut off. And he says, President, whilst I may be in the metropolitan city of Gala, I don't have good connectivity. We now must focus on ensuring that as we seek to build rural economies, we ensure that there is good and better connectivity. And in this regard, my heart always goes out to him, because as you know, with his very deep, rough voice, he talks quite a lot, and wants to talk to me on the telephone, but we often get cut off. And sometimes I'm happy that we get cut off. <laughs> An important part of rural development is the acceleration and redistribution of land, 
and the provision of support to ensure that the land is put to good use and it is productive. The 55th National Conference reaffirmed our policy on land reform. The resolutions that we have taken in the past are reaffirmed and we will also be focusing on new measures that are going to ensure that we do move ahead with our land reform process. The growth of an inclusive economy is a vital part in our fight against poverty, unemployment and inequality. Delegates agreed that the state has a responsibility to provide support to vulnerable South Africans in a manner that is affordable and sustainable. Other resolutions to tackle poverty focus on scaling up the provision of housing and delivery of service, ensuring that our municipalities provide quality, affordable services to all residents. We will be focusing on the performance of our municipalities. Many of our municipalities are dysfunctional and are performing below par, including the municipality of this very metro city where we are. Our people are clear that we've got to reposition various municipalities, including Mangawung itself, and we shall do so. <clears throat> Delegates also focused on an area that sometimes we don't pay close attention to, which is early childhood development and the promotion of technical and vocational education to ensure that the country has skills that are needed to grow and develop our economy and felt that we need to embark on a skills revolution process that will ensure that we do indeed have the skills that our economy needs. The conference also resolved to prioritize safety and security of the people of our country. There are, these are a number of resolutions that were taken. But we also focus on international policy and the posture that South Africa needs to have, particularly as we now have a multipolar world where we need to play a key role as South Africa. And we will be playing that role this year as we start being the chair of BRICS and when we will convene a BRICS summit later this year in the third part of the year and bring the BRICS countries and partners together as well as a number of outreach countries, particularly on our own continent and beyond, and where South Africa, including all of us, and I'd like to say the business community will need to play a key role in the BRICS Business Forum would like to see South African business showcasing its capability, showcasing its pride as South Africa's business as we interact with the four BRICS countries 
and the rest of other countries. So, comrades and friends, this is our year as South Africa on the international stage. This is the year when we must showcase what our country has to offer in leadership, in capability, in cooperation, working together, in the social compacting that the TG was talking about. I, I'm very pleased to hear about the various plans that have been announced by my two sisters, Khadija and Sonia, about how the business community, it's part of the Patriotic Business Forum and beyond, are going to be interfacing with the African National Congress and our government in a variety of iterations where we will be exchanging views and discussing quite a number of things. Now these are some of the outcomes of our conference. Many more will be outlined in the National Executive, Executive Committee's statement to be released tomorrow. But they will also be part of the program of action for 2023 that will be announced, yes, in that statement. Over the course of the next few weeks, we will engage with various constituencies, formations, and I'm glad to hear what the women in business are planning to do. We will do so as we interact with you on the resolutions that we adopted in our conference because we are determined to work with all South Africans to advance our vision and to undertake a program of transformation. We will do so as we seek to consolidate the various compacts and we've been involved in a process where we've had quite a number of sectoral compacts, both at NEDLAC and elsewhere, the Gender-Based Violence and Femicide Summit also presents itself as a compact. When we met social organizations, they also came up with a compact, and in a number of other areas, we are building compacts. Obviously, we want this to culminate in a more comprehensive compact, and all these are building blocks to be part of that comprehensive compact. And we would therefore like you as business people to join us to build this cohesion, this compact. And this is the year when we would like to see all of us working together, not pulling asunder. The African National Congress has put in place clear policies, a clear vision, but the glue that will keep all this together is our total commitment to the renewal process because it is through this renewal that the ANC becomes much more effective. It is through this renewal and unity that we are able to bring the various forces to be part of this movement going forward. So we are pleased that your presence here is a clear indication of your interest, not only in the work of the ANC, but also in the direction that our country will be taking 
into the future. It is a fitting tribute to the intent of the founders of our movement more than a century ago to forge a broad struggle for the achievement of freedom and equality. We are grateful to all of you that you are present here this evening and to all members as well as supporters of the PBF, the Patriotic Business Forum, and for your continuing support and your commitment not only to the ANC but to the people of our country. It is through your support that we will be able to build this country and make it a successful country. The ANC is irrevocably committed to that. Join us as we go on with this process. Thank you very much. advised us to pause. <laughs> so we shall pause. We are pausing. These are live pictures come to you from Bloemfontein. You would have just heard President Cyril Ramaphosa giving the keynote address at the gala dinner that forms part of the ANC's 111th birthday celebrations. We'll have more after this. Welcome back. And uh, we appreciate uh, that report uh, from uh, the Free State. Uh, at the 111th uh, anniversary commemoration of the founding of the ruling 
party in South Africa, the African National Congress. We'll take a break. We'll be back with our concluding segment. One look, uh, classic uh, rhythm and blues music from 1963, and uh, this is 2023, some 60 years later, and this year will represent uh, the 60th anniversary of the mass civil rights struggle that erupted in 1963, and uh, we're going to listen to some news reports uh, from that year, and of course later on this month uh, will be the 94th a commemoration of the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which is a federal holiday inside the United States here in Detroit, where we are broadcasting from. We're going to hold the 20th annual Martin Luther King Day Rally in March. It'll be held at the St. Matthew's St. Peter's Episcopal Church that's located on Woodward Avenue, 8850 Woodward Avenue, between Holbrook and King. Uh, the rally begins at noon. The march begins at 1.30. Uh, there will be a community meal served outside the church uh, after the march. So let's listen to uh, these developments from 1963. We face, therefore, a moral crisis as a country and a people. It cannot be met by repressive police action. It cannot be left to increase demonstrations in the streets. 
It cannot be quieted by token moves or talk. It is a time to act in the Congress, in your state and local legislative body, and above all, in all of our daily lives. President Kennedy this week moved against America's racial crisis in two directions. Encouraged but not misled by the successful entry of two Negroes at the University of Alabama, the president went on national television to ask America not only to change her laws, but also to reorder the personal relationship between white and Negro citizens. But even as he spoke, that relationship was strained and broken in countless communities across the nation. Within hours, Mississippi's most prominent Negro leader was murdered from ambush. The next day, his mourners were greeted by club-swinging police. In Danville, Virginia, the mayor denounced Negro demonstrators as a bunch of criminals. And in Maryland, Governor Miller Taws tonight ordered state national guardsmen into Cambridge where merchants are refusing to sell firearms because of the racial strife. For the South, for the North, for the nation, this is the gravest domestic crisis since the Depression. It is the subject of tonight's eyewitness report. Your correspondent, substituting for Charles Collingwood, Roger Mudd. Eyewitness, the big news of the week. Tonight, witness, the president faces the racial crisis. you by Polaroid Corporation, makers of the Polaroid Land Camera. We are confronted primarily with a moral issue. It is as old as the scriptures and is as clear as the American Constitution. The heart of the question is whether all Americans are to be afforded equal rights and equal opportunities, whether we are going to treat our fellow Americans as we want to be treated. If an American, because his skin is dark, cannot eat lunch in a restaurant open to the public, if he cannot send his children to the best public school available, if he cannot vote for the public officials who represent him, if in short he cannot enjoy the full and free life which all of us want, then who among us would be content to have the color of his skin changed and stand in his place? Who among us would then be content with the counsels of patience and delay? One hundred years of delay have passed since President Lincoln freed the slaves, yet their heirs, their grandsons, are not fully free. They are not yet freed from the bonds of injustice. They are not yet, not yet freed from social and economic oppression. And this nation, for all its hopes and all its boasts, will not be fully free until all its citizens are free. We preach freedom around the world, and we mean it. And we cherish our freedom here at home. But are we to say to the world, and much more importantly, to each other, that this is a land of the free, except for the Negroes? that we have no second-class citizens except Negroes, that we have no class or caste system, no ghettos, no master race, except with respect to Negroes. Now the time has come for this nation to fulfill its promise. 
We have a right to expect that the Negro community will be responsible, will uphold the law, but they have a right to expect that the law will be fair, that the Constitution will be colorblind, as Justice Holland said at the turn of the century. This is what we're talking about, and this is a matter which concerns this country and what it stands for. And in meeting it, I ask the support of all of our citizens. Thank you very much. First reaction from the generally recognized Negro leadership, Martin Luther King. I feel that it was a masterpiece. Uh, I think that the president spoke passionately to the moral issues in the integration struggle. And I think he made it very clear that uh, the government, the administration, will now engage in vigorous forthright action uh, to bring about the realization of the American dream. I think that his uh, pending legislative uh, program, if enacted and implemented, will do a great deal to solve problems that we face uh, now in the integration struggle, and I think it will bring the whole nation uh, closer to the realization of the American dream. But the approving voice of nonviolence wasn't the only voice on a Harlem street corner. do for all these people, and for me too, when I'm out of work. The thing, well, I think it's just gone too far now. It's going to have to go where it is going now, you know, slowly picking up, going toward violence, and like, and it's going to be a, it's going to have to be a busting loose before uh, uh, this thing is really set. For I'm, I'm a probationary member of Corps right now, see, and I'm trying, I'm trying to see this nonviolence work. I promised myself if this nonviolence doesn't work, then I'm beating it out of Corps and I'm going to the Muslims, see. Well, for me, for one, I don't go for speeches. We've been having speeches a long time, all for years and years speeches. And my, my, I come to the conclusion that the only thing for this Afro-American to do here in this country is retaliate. What I mean by retaliate, I mean take a life for a life. That's exactly what I mean. All these speeches and can on don't mean nothing. The time has come when a white man take a life, you take two. Restract retaliation, bro. That's how I feel, and that's how that uh, I, I don't listen to that nothing no more but blood. That's all. Equally unimpressed with the president's thinking, the Southern delegation in Congress, Senator Russell Long of Louisiana. Well, there are a lot of moderate Southern people who have been accepting the Negro more and more and doing what they could to help him advance his cause. Difficulty is. Uh, that uh, this federal fight and this federal compulsion has alienated a, a great number of southern white people who uh, previously had been doing everything they could to uh, help the colored man to improve himself. Uh, I don't know what the answer to it is going to be, except that uh, southern senators will, I believe, uh, proceed to do everything within their power to explain the point of view of their people and to maintain the view that the great majority of people in the South uh, believe in. By everything within their power, the Southern Senators mean specifically their ultimate weapon, the filibuster, or as they refer to it, extended debate. There seems no question that a filibuster is coming, but at this time and under these circumstances, the administration leadership is reasonably confident they can break it or through compromise enact almost all of the President's civil rights program. 
to the president's broader moral appeal that the individual white citizen re-examine his own personal relations with the Negro, there came within hours one answer, sudden, brutal, and defiant, murder in Mississippi. That story in a moment. I remember distinctly one individual uh, calling with uh, a pistol on the other end, and he hit the cylinder, and of course uh, you could hear that it was a revolver, and he said, this is for you. I said, well, whenever my time comes, I'm ready. That was Medgar Evers, Mississippi Field Secretary for the NAACP, who lived in this house on a segregated street in Jackson. His time came early Wednesday morning. Somebody poked a rifle through the wire fence and shot Medgar Evers in the back. Negroes have been lynched before, but the aroused temper of the times and the vicious circumstances of the act seem to be turning this murder into a rallying cry. You can hear the note in Mrs. Evers' words to Dan Rather after her husband's death. I would like for everyone to search their own souls, those that are staunch segregationists, those that are moderate, and those that are in the fight. I think it's time for everything to come to the light and for all of us to work even more harder to make this nation the type of nation it should be. My husband lived for his work, for the cause. He was totally dedicated to it. And I would hate to think that the sacrifice that he made while he was living and also by his death would go in vain. Jackson Mayor Alan Thompson talked with Nelson Benton. I think it's one of the worst things we've had in our city in a long time. As I mentioned in my statement yesterday, it's one of the most terrible tragedies. All of us in Jackson are humiliated and shamed at the thought that such a thing would happen or should happen in our city. And then we are taking every, every kind of measure to discover the criminal. We've offered a $5,000 reward. And in addition to that, we've employed extra men. 30 of our policemen are being used just for that particular purpose at this time. Why do you feel that the races should be separated? In well, of course, the first thing, I grew up in it. That's been what I've known all of my life, all of my parents, all of my grandparents' life. Up until recently, it's white, as I mentioned before. The separation of the races, whites. All you've got to do is to look around you. They say they're not happy. The Negro's not happy. Well, who is happy? Completely. There's always a little tugging at you. You want to be happier. You want to advance. You want to do more. But it still goes back to earning the right to do more. But I believe that a separation of the races works better because it's more peaceful. Because you don't have the continual antagonism. Because it's worked in this city. And because, as I said, you cannot argue with success. The mood of Negroes in Jackson this week has been one of shock and anger, but no concrete plan of action has yet emerged. Some of the younger Negroes, like student Eddie O'Neill, are openly talking of violence. For over 100 years, the Negro has repressed and suppressed all the hatred and violence 
and all of the degradation, all of the humiliating circumstances that we have tolerated here in this Southland. And the young people want you to know that there is no more room in their souls yeah. to suppress it. Like any normal human being, when there has been too much kept in, there has to be some kind of veil, there has to be some kind of escape latch, that all that that has been packed in for centuries may somehow come out. And if the mayor, and if the governor of this state, and if other responsible leaders across our Southland will not adhere to the peaceful attitudes of negotiations across the council table, then I must be afraid, along with you, that it must erupt in the violence and the most violent way that we know how, in mass demonstrations and in other ways. Old Miss student James Meredith believes violence in Mississippi now would hurt the Negro cause. Well, uh, my biggest concern in this regard is that uh, with the present circumstance and the present tension, if it keeps mounting, we will have major racial violence. And this, I don't feel, will benefit anyone, including the Negro. In that particular statement, James Meredith reflects the thinking of a majority of what little Negro leadership there is in Mississippi. They know the death of Medgar Evers has given them a strong lever in Washington, and they don't want street violence to reduce its effectiveness. As a group, Mississippi Negroes are probably the most fearful and disorganized of any in the nation. They're not really inclined to violence, even in the face of something like the Evers' death, simply because they are so afraid. An emotional flare-up of some kind, particularly tomorrow, the day of the funeral, between young Negroes and on-edge police is of course possible. But the better likelihood is that Mississippi Negroes will continue to seethe in comparative quietness for at least a little while longer and hope for more help from the outside. This is Dan Rather in Jackson, Mississippi. In the South, America's racial struggle takes its most extreme and so far most violent form. There, the fight is for legal equality. But again and again in his speech, the president stressed that the racial problem is a national problem. A report on the Negro's drive for economic equality in the North after this message. The Negro baby born in America today, regardless of the section of the state in which he is born, has about one half as much chance of completing a high school as a white baby, born in the same place on the same day. One-third as much chance of completing college. One-third as much chance of becoming a professional man. Twice as much chance of becoming unemployed. About one-seventh as much chance of earning $10,000 a year. A life expectancy which is seven years shorter. And the prospects of earning only half as much. In the midst of the battle for legal equality in the South, the Negro organizations have launched an all-out on-the-street campaign for job equality in the North. It's a sensitive area, one where violence comes easily, and here the threat to public safety has arisen. In Philadelphia, Negroes picketing a construction site mixed it up with police, but they made their point and more and better Negro jobs were opened on the project. Encouraged, the NAACP and CORE hit the bricks in other cities. In New York, they staged a protest against alleged discrimination in the building trades union. 
but they threw their picket line around the site of the new Harlem Hospital in the middle of New York's sprawling Negro slum. Unruly onlookers quickly joined the organization pickets, and there were two days of shoving matches with police. Len Cotella asked NAACP Labor Secretary Herbert Hill why he was picketing the hospital project. Well, do you think it would be more appropriate to picket the unions instead of the construction jobs since no, the unions the, are the ones who hire these people? This construction site is in the heart of Harlem, the largest Negro community in the United States. It is being built with public funds. The union and the contractors have a joint responsibility. The unions and the building contractors are engaged in a collusive practice to deny Negro workers their job opportunities. It may be necessary later to picket the uh, union hiring halls, and if we think it is necessary, we shall do so. We wish to dramatize to the entire city the pattern of racial discrimination in the building trades in the city of New York. Some of the workers honored Hill's picket line, and for a moment, the scene presented a cameo of the whole white Negro job problem. Well, the man in charge of the pickets out there says they're going to picket all day today and tomorrow and as long as it's necessary to get Negro men on the job. We but have Negro are. men. Well, Negro skilled workers in other trades. If these people stay out for a, uh, for a week, if they picket for a week or three or five days, how do you think you'll feel then? Uh, we are not the same coming. They're injustified. They're depriving us of living. They're against everything they're preaching. They're discriminating against us right now. That's just what they're doing. They're going to feed my three kids. They're going to pay my rent. I give it to you. Beg your union to send some colored lasses up here and the job will go ahead. Wait a minute. 70500. Dial up and talk to the delegate. Just a minute. Uh, you said you have a solution for this situation here. What is it? Well, put colored men and, and the other trades, and I believe the job will go ahead. Because we have colored carpenters here. We have colored what laborers. What are the traders that run the job besides the carpenters? We have the carpenters. We have the laborers. And we have the laughing. We have colored in the carpenters. We have colored in the carpenters. We have colored in the laborers. And we have no color in the laughing. And how many laughers are there here? I don't care how many. Right. How many are there here? I don't care. I don't even know. The six or seven. I don't even know. And the six know. or seven that are on this job have been with this company for over two years and with the same foreman for over two years. Yeah, six and seven. Is supposed to give one of us up just to satisfy a picket line and let us go? You don't have to get one. You are. He has to. Why? He has to because the job don't call for that many men. But let's put one, put one color then. Put one. Then one of us has to be laid off. No, then my good. kids go hungry. No. Then my rent ain't paid. I mean, that's not my problem. Washington is a city that's neither northern nor southern, but something of both. Today, Washington saw one of the biggest Negro protest rallies yet. Correspondent Robert Pierpoint was there as white and Negro demonstrators massed across from the White House. The night has been long, so long, Lord, until we ask, how long? How long? How long? How long? How long? How long? That dramatic prayer in Lafayette Park across from the White House opened the parade of protest here today. Over 2,000 people marched, black and white, Christian and Jew, men, women, and children, protesting against Negro discrimination in jobs and housing in Washington and against all kinds of discrimination throughout America. Many sang as they walked peacefully through the sultry Washington streets down Pennsylvania Avenue from President Kennedy's home to the office of his brother, the Attorney General. The sponsors of the parade, the NAACP, CORE, and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference had accused the Justice Department of discrimination in hiring, and Robert Kennedy rather resented the charge, though he did not show it at first. Christian Barrera! 
Hello? Well, I'm glad to see all of you. I'm happy that you came by the Department of Justice to pay us a visit. I don't know if I'd say that if you came every day, but I'm happy to see you today. Hello! We are here because we are concerned about, we want to know how and why it's possible for two FBI agents to stand in a restaurant in Jackson and watch a Negro mutilated on the floor, as was reported in the newspaper. Two, we are worried about the fact that based on cursory observations, and we don't have full knowledge of the facts, what we were able to see, we haven't seen many Negroes coming out of this building. Now we're asking the... the Attorney General to answer these two questions and he's going to do this. Thank you. Let's give him credit tonight. Hello? Can you hear that? Yeah. Can you hear that? Yeah. Well, we don't have discrimination at the Department of Justice. Anybody, any individual can come here in the Department of Justice and get a job. There isn't discrimination. When I became Attorney General of the United States, I found out how many Negroes there were employed as lawyers. There were only 10 Negroes out of 900. Well, that's been changed now. There are six times that number here in the Department of Justice. Now, we've got a long way to go. We can do much better than we've done in the past, and we will continue to do better. But we started at a, at a low plane, and we're making an effort to do better. But I ask all of you, any one of you, is that if you know of anybody, either you or any of your friends that have ever been discriminated against in the Department of Justice in your hiring, and the answer has to be no. This morning in Washington, we asked the Attorney General the question some Negro critics have been asking. Why did the President wait so long to make that major speech on civil rights? Well, I think he's spoken a number of times on uh, this question. He put a uh, statement out, spoke about it at the beginning of this year, spoke about this whole problem down in uh, when he traveled throughout the South, Nashville, Tennessee. I suppose he's spoken on it four or five times. People haven't been as interested in this problem up until the last uh, two months. May I ask you about the civil rights program you intend to send to the Congress next week? Well, I think as it's been generally discussed, uh, we're uh, in interested in stronger legislation in the field of voting. Uh, we're interested in some legislation dealing with public facilities, facilities that open their doors to the general public uh, so that they don't, uh, that they'll serve everybody, no matter what their color might be. Uh, we're interested also in uh, making sure that there's equal education. Mr. Kennedy, what do you think the chances are for passage of this program? Well, we're going to make a fight on it. I'm uh, hopeful that it will be passed, but I don't think that it's an easy struggle at all. Mr. Kennedy, some of the Southerners on the Hill are raising sand about the administration's proposed civil rights program. Senator Russell of Georgia in particular has said the president is raising the specter of mass racial violence to force his program through the Congress. I'd like your comment on his uh, charge, Mr. Kennedy. Well, I won't comment specifically on it, but I would say that uh, what's going on in the United States at the present time, and just over the period of a little over two weeks, you've had 50 major demonstrations across the country in all parts of the United States, not being created by the federal government. They're being created by people who are dissatisfied with being treated as second-class citizens. Welcome back. And uh, that was... News reports uh, from uh, 1963, uh, we're looking back at the 
60th anniversary uh, of uh, the mass struggles of 1963 in the United States, led uh, by the African-American people. And uh, we're going to be closing out our program, and uh, we'd just like to let you know that if you're interested in having access uh, to this program, just go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. We're closing out with the music of Horace Silver with the album Tribute or Serenade to a Soul Sister. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.